Welcome to the Achieve Results Nutrition and Wellness Podcast, the ultimate guide to feeling and looking your best. Join me, your host, as we embark on an exciting journey to discover the power of nutrition, exercise, sleep, recovery, and mental performance. Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and uplifted as we uncover the secrets to unlocking your full potential and living your best life. Whether you're a fitness enthusiast, a wellness warrior, or just looking to improve your overall well-being, this is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get ready to elevate our performance together. Okay, so we have Dan Feldman, registered dietitian, joining us on the podcast today. And I am super excited to have you as a guest, my friend. Been following you for a long time online. I just love your approach to nutrition. Love that you're you just you're a fact-based guy, you're a science-based guy. I, I really appreciate that. You're not afraid to call some people out, which is cool. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. It's it's great to have you here, man. Thank you, my friend. It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah. So let's get started. For anybody who hasn't come across you or just anyone who has and wants to know a little bit more about you, why don't you just tell us a little about yourself and your journey into the dietetics field? Sure. So yeah, I'm a registered dietitian. Obviously, I got my master's degree in human nutrition, also a recreational competitive powerlifter. Just a bit of background. I got my undergraduate and master's degree in nutrition from University of Delaware, and in 2016, 2018, I completed the dietetic internship, which obviously you're very well familiar with. In 2018 to 2019, at Long Island University Post, became a dietitian, passed the board exam in mid-2019. Spent about a year or so working in long-term care, so geriatric care, including during COVID. I was actually working in, uh, in nursing homes in Queens and Brooklyn during COVID, if you remember at the start of it, in like March, April 2020, it was really like New York was the hotspot. So I've working it in it throughout that. And in 2020, I shifted gears and left that job. And since then, I, I had started and in, in run full time a private practice, a health insurance based private practice, working with a variety of different clientele. The majority are looking for weight management or muscle gain, stuff like that. So that's my main gig. I also work part-time for examine.com, working on their research reviews, reading and summarizing 25 or so studies, peer-reviewed studies per month, health-related, nutrition-related studies. And a lot of people also know me for my Instagram. So I'll oftentimes post related content, evidence, evidence-based content on, on there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I found you and obviously grew to love your message. So no, that's really cool, man. And I think one thing I wanted to ask you about here right off the bat, because you have been open about it and stuff a little bit online is your past history with your own struggles with food. I think we've all probably anyone that's in this dietetics field has some kind of a past history. I don't know if any human being in the world doesn't have yeah. something going on food related. So I know you've been open about that and are any of those dietary struggles that you've experienced throughout your life, did they guide you down this path or? Yeah, absolutely. And I have in my own experience, to your point, noticed that a lot of people who do work in the nutrition and fitness space, whether it be dietitians or personal trainers, oftentimes they are spurred to do so by their own previous struggles. And that was certainly the case for me. So I'll try not to, to ramble on about my whole life story. But I struggled a bit with my weight when I was probably 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. I was a chubby kid. Very self-conscious of that. I did have urge eating. It was probably bordering on an eating disorder during that time. And around the age of like 12 or 13, 
excuse me, I, if you were to, if you were to look at pictures of me from when I was like 10 to 11 to when I was like 13, I guess I grew into my weight in that if you were to look at pictures of me when I was like 13, I wouldn't look like a, a, a kid with a weight problem, 13, 14, 15. I just looked like a healthy looking young man, but that feeling of being fat never really left. So I continued to have these disordered eating fears into my teenage years and even into my very early 20s when I was in university. So that was a big part of what spurred me to be a dietitian. The fact that I had gone through struggles with my body image, struggles with my weight, struggles with disordered eating. Um, and I really wanted to get to a place where I could help other people not have to go through that. When I first, so when I first got into university, when I first got to college, I actually wanted to be a professional musician. A lot of people don't know this about me. I wanted to, I would play like guitar six, seven, eight hours per day in high school. I was obsessed with it. I wanted to be a professional musician, but around the time of 18, I realized that guitar was not fun anymore. It became like a job. It, it just, it lost all of its fun. Coming into college, my freshman year of University of Delaware, I didn't know what I wanted to do because I had some of these struggles with disordered eating. And around that time, I also started to get into lifting weights. I figured maybe I'll do something related to health and nutrition. My academic advisor said, oh, you could become a registered dietitian. And I thought, oh, I don't know what that is, but it sounds official. So I did it and here we are. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, no, like you said, I think most people have some kind of a background, some kind of a history when, when you're in this field and it's, I think it has to do with a perf, like it's a perf performance based field as well. Right. Like a lot of people, like you said, they're into fitness they're they're aware of like their body and they want to look a certain way and just get driven down this path. I think it's hard to avoid for anybody who's in whatever athletics, sports, like you said, even just in like the weightlifting crowd and anything that's aesthetically driven. Right. So it's definitely tough. And that's been my experience with it as well as I got more hardcore into diet, like in college, like I, I was a division one hockey player and a, end up playing professionally and that's when I really took things to an unhealthy level and I, my intentions were always good I wasn't doing it to to self-sabotage but I was self-sabotaging without knowing it and then obviously I had to go back to school afterward and get a second degree become a dietitian but yeah man so it's it's just interesting to hear your story and it's cool that you were going to be the musician I would love to hear maybe you throw some guitar up on the on the Instagram once in a while we'll see that yeah yeah if you if you do Google, I think if you Google Dan Feldman guitar, I think, or go to YouTube and type it in, you'll still find, you'll find old videos of me from 12 years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago, playing guitar. Uh, so that, that stuff is still up there. That's great. I might have to go take a look. Mm -hmm. So that when one of my goals, I'll call it that when I always said, Hey, if I play professional hockey, I'm going to have a lot of free time, whatever. I'm going to learn how to play the guitar. Right. So it was like one year right around Christmas, me and three or four of the guys, we all went over to the guitar store, bought guitars. Like we're all hyped up. Oh man, we're going to get so good. We've got lots of free time being whatever in the daytime. And I think I lasted about four weeks and then got frustrated. Mm -hmm. I still have the guitar, but it's in a case. It might be dust at this point. I don't know. It is still here. Yeah, I got to build up the calluses just like you do with lifting weights. If you're doing deadlifts, especially building up the calluses, but in this case on your fingertips, yeah. it gets easier over time. Exactly. There you go. So for anybody who came for the nutrition, but is also into music, there we go. But 
Let's, yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's shift gears here let, and let's get right into it. Obviously, you talk a lot of, you call a lot of people out on some bullshit, right? And essentially it, what it is, a lot of people that are cherry picking information or just having a very rigid approach, right, to, to nutrition, where I think the studies and the science and stuff is pretty clear at this point that the rigid approach really doesn't work any better than uh, a little bit more of a relaxed and rational approach, right? Do you feel are the main things that people are focusing on that have very little impact on their health and body composition right now. Yeah, so most things that a lot of people tend to focus on tend to be less important than they think. And one thing I will say is I've tried to like not call people out as much just because I don't want to be a dick. It's a fine line between calling people out who are charlatans or whatever and then being a dick. So I'm trying not to do that as much. But I do think that there is a tendency to oversimplify things and also to demonize individual foods or individual ingredients. I think that's something that a lot of people do, a lot of quote-unquote influencers do because it's very palatable to do. If you are on social media, you are competing for attention, for likes, for follows, you know, Seeing ah, seed oil is terrible for you, or, or these, these vegetables are bullshit, or seeing grandiose claims that this is horrible for you, or this is the only way to health, that kind of is more entertaining than saying, ah, foods you can eat in moderation, you should really be eating like a lot of fruits and vegetables, and if you're focused on weight management, eating more protein. But I guess just to get back to your question, I think a lot of people focus on demonizing specific foods or specific food ingredients. So that might be where a lot of, especially the kind of ancestral carnivore, keto people, like demonizing seed oils, getting obsessive over seed oils or just all processed foods or all sugar or carbohydrates in general, taking this black and white approach whereby, okay, if I just eliminate this food or this food ingredient, then I'm going to be healthier. I think a lot of us don't want to admit that kind of the boring nutritional advice, which is, like I said, eating a lot of vegetables and fruits and a high protein diet and being fairly active, managing, getting enough sleep, managing stress. These are the things that really have the longest lasting impact, building positive habits. But I think a lot of us are overly focused on the one thing we need to avoid or the one diet that is the magical diet, the carnivore diet or vegan diet or whatever it is that is just like the one thing that we've been missing. So I think people like to take the kind of simple, overly simple approach as opposed to looking at just their overall lifestyle habits and making small, sensible changes over time. And even as I say that, it sounds boring, right? How boring <laughs> does it sound to say, okay, like, why don't we just start eating more fruits and vegetables at our meals yeah. or add in a little bit more exercise or keep a consistent sleep. So these are things that do have a very significant impact on our health and longevity, but they're boring because yeah. we've heard them before because they're true. <laughs> yeah. And people like to think that they've been lied to and they like to, yeah, they just like to focus on, on demonizing stuff and, and oversimplifying things. So that was a rambly answer, but hopefully that, that no, kind of no. makes sense. I think that gets the point across. And that's the thing. You, know, you talk to a lot of people and it, it's just maybe confusion or whatever. But like you said, people do love to key in on those one or two things, right? You'll talk to some, I'm sure you get the same kind of comments that I get, right? When you say you're talking to a client for the first time, right? And they're like, well, I don't really understand what's going on. I eat so healthy. Like I don't eat gluten. And you're just like, 
Okay. Yeah. But that has no impact on what we're trying to do yeah. here, right? Yeah. Okay. If you have celiac, then yes, absolutely. That should be out. Or I know, I, I know how to eat healthy. I just got to cut out gluten and dairy, right? And it's just, okay, sure. Moderation, totally. But yeah, I just think a lot of times people get caught up on things that just don't have such a big impact. I guess this is probably, we probably answered the question, like, are people making nutrition, in your opinion, are we making it a lot harder than it has to be in a lot of cases? I guess in some cases, yes. I think we're making it, I don't know about us specifically, but I think that just in general, the age of social media and of short attention spans and so much information at our fingertips is making things more confusing and convoluted than they have to be. Because like I was saying, like a lot of people get their information from social media, from Instagram and TikTok. That's where a lot of people, or at least younger generations, get their information from maybe Facebook for slightly older generations. Yeah. And those social media platforms, especially in talking Instagram, are more so entertainment competing for your attention than really good information sources. If you look at some of the zealots, like I think Paul Saladino is, I know I said, like, I try not to like call people out or be a dick, but you know, but he, the information he puts out is not accurate objectively, but he's really good at making entertaining clickbaity like content and grabbing your attention. I think, and it's a skill that he has of just be saying like making these kind of claims, these scary claims, like these inflammatory chemicals that they don't want you to know about and, and really putting on a show or having a shirt off in a Whole Foods. And it's a, it's an entertainment, entertaining, but it's not accurate. And I think that is a part of, of what I think makes delivering accurate information difficult. So I don't know if it's that we're necessarily complicating it, but I think the means of communication can favor misinformation or disinformation because the accurate information is not necessarily what's going to grab art. So I think that is, that's a pretty significant component of it there. And I think also if people just don't want to hear the boring stuff, people don't want to hear that they just need to eat more fruits and vegetables because it, it requires some work, requires some discomfort. If you're not used to eating a lot of fruits and vegetables or you are eating a lot of highly processed sugary foods and whatnot, and it's harder to change what you know deep inside is effective. I think oftentimes a lot of us know how to improve our lives or what we're really struggling with on, on some level, but we don't want to face up the fact that we already know what to do. Yeah. So we gravitate towards these kind of quick fixes, these obscure solutions that might get you results in the short term. Like I'm sure a lot of people we're following just a traditional American diet. If they switch to a carnivore diet, they'll probably see improvements on a lot of health markers because they'll end up eating fewer calories. They'll cut out a lot of processed foods. And But the question is, is it actually sustainable? Is it actually building new sustainable habits? Yes. So are we making things more confusing and harder? Yes. Although I don't think it's... I think it's not necessarily just people who are really trying to make things harder. But I think it's more so just a product of our of just our digital age. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like you said, it, it that's a good way to think about it, right? It is it's entertainment at the end of the day, right? It's like who can get the most eyes, like you said, the clickbait stuff, right? And it's yeah, all the basic stuff like we've all heard it before, right? And everybody's heard it before. 
And, but like you said, it's so much easier to key in on, oh, maybe, you know, my, maybe the reason, maybe it's not that I don't eat enough fruits and vegetables and I don't move enough. Maybe it is that my vegetables are poisoning me. Yeah. That sounds, and it's, it, we always want that thing that is like, like you said, that obscure, like that magic, oh, like I'm a little bit different. I'm not like other people. Maybe that my vegetables really are poisoning me. And I think that's yeah. the thing is when it's new and it's different and it's not the same old stuff that's been that you've grown up knowing, then you wanna you, you wanna maybe give that a shot. And then that gets a lot of attention from it. So yeah, man. But no, I, I agree with you too. I think it that's it. We do make things I think like you said, if a lot of people were able just to take that deep look inside and be like, Yeah, like I I could lay off a little bit of this. I could do a little bit better here. I could add some fruits here, some vegetables there. I could add a walk here. I could add a workout there. Things would probably go a lot better for people. Yeah, I agree. Totally. All right. So through through your experience then, obviously you have your own private practice in obviously things in moderation and stuff, but what would you recommend to someone who comes to you looking for fat loss, body, I was just say body composition improvements. I think that's what the general population is after, right? They want to burn some body fat. They want to gain some muscle. In doing so, they want to improve on their health markers and improve on their energy levels and things like that. So do you have any kind of a structure or framework that you follow for the best dietary approach for people to take? So I start where the client is at if someone comes to me. I think a lot of us are quick to say, oh, we just have to do this. Or we have to do that. This is the way. But whenever I meet with a client for the first time, I like to just hear a little bit about their background. I like to let them talk a little bit and just see where they're coming from. Okay. Because we all know how, like how to improve body composition. Like it's depending on someone's level of body fat, whether they need to lose fat or we would all probably agree getting some kind of doing some weight bearing exercise, ideally just exercise in general. If they do need to lose fat and getting them in a calorie deficit, whether it be through tracking or whether it be through eating lots of fruits and vegetables to have more volume in and more protein and, and et cetera, et cetera. But I like to get a little bit of background on them first to think in my mind of, and maybe brainstorm with them or just come up with some ideas as to what might have the, what might be the lowest hanging fruit for them, what might have the greatest impact for them now based on where they're at in their life. And one thing I do also try to do when I'm meeting with a client for the first time is I want to make it clear that we need to be focused on the process and be patient and not the outcome. If someone is just looking to just quickly get shredded, just they just want to get the body composition that they want, they want it as quick as possible, I am not the RD for them. I'm not, that's not, that's not what I'm about because you could crash diet yourself and do some pretty intense workouts and get a good looking physique, but you're not, you're probably not gonna be able to sustain it like that. I would rather someone really fall in love with the process. And usually I will just give a very brief overview of what is most important for, for body composition while it's ensuring that your energy intake is appropriate for your goals. If it's probably for a lot of people that includes fat loss, ensuring you're in energy deficit, whether or not you're actually tracking and making sure that what we're doing is sustainable. And then from there, maybe we go through a typical day of eating and we start to adjust some things here and there to make it a little bit less calorie dense, eating a little bit more protein, maybe getting some more fruits and vegetables in, depending on where they're at in their life, see if that interest for maybe starting an exercise routine is there and then see, okay, how are they dealing with stress? Because so many people stress eat, yeah. especially people who are struggling with their weight, just in general, like, a lot of people stress eat. And so at least acknowledging that and starting to discuss how someone copes with stress 
is also going to be really important. Uh, so I know that's not like a quick and dirty answer, but I try to not just say, okay, it's this. And yeah. I really try to make things more client centric. And I try to look at what will be the most sustainable for this person. It's not the most sexy way to go about things and it might not get results instantly, but I'm not an instant gratification guy. I really want to instill the idea of patience of, like I said, falling in love with the process of delayed gratification, being okay with slow results, yeah. but slow results, but that are sustainable. Totally, totally. Yeah. It's, and I think we, we know the basics, we know how things work, but really shaping our recommendations and our interventions to the person we're working with is really the trick. And that's what also makes social media very tricky because it depends on who you're talking to. Different people need to hear very different things. You need to see very different things to, to overcome whatever obstacle they are facing. Sure. No, I mean, I think that's perfect. And that's the thing. And that's why that's for guys like me and you, registered dietitians, whatever people that are in the nutrition field, I think that's why the templates and the apps and the things like that, people will always still struggle with that, right? So it's just keto is not for everybody, right? Paleo is not for everybody. It's like a lot of it comes down to skills. Like from my experience in coaching people, it's not really much about the food at all, right? It's about no, the it's skills that it's about the skills and the planning and the implementation and the mindset, the thought processes and things like that that go along with it. Cause like we just talked about pretty much 99% of the people probably know what they need to be doing. Just the simple fact that they can't get themselves to, to be doing it. Right. Yep. So that's the thing I think when it comes to sustainability, it's, we can all hop into a crash diet or a fad diet or a challenge or whatever, right. Where you're just in a, in a, an extreme deficit for a little while, you're always going to find yourself back in the same place. Essentially, if you don't start picking up the skills and, and the tools and stuff necessary for sustainability. And like you said, it's maybe not always super sexy to, and it may not be as fast as people want it. And in, in this era of we get everything immediately it's a little bit tricky but i think like you said long-term people are going to be much better for that i appreciate your approach there i think that's pretty yeah. cool and actually this is something that you just touched on that i would like to i always find this is interesting like the stress component right so i like to throw this at you like how much do you because obviously there's like our two camps of there's calories and then there's hormones right and cortisol <laughs> is like the major hot topic right now when you talk about people's ability to manage stress and how it leads to stress eating. So in, in your opinion or from the things that you've read and studied about this, like how influential is like specifically cortisol or stress hormone related to people's weight issues? Or is it more a matter of stress throws people's routines off? So from my understanding, I don't believe cortisol independent of calorie intake is going to make someone gain weight. I've seen those claims like before and I did, I don't think that's the case. I don't think there is a mechanism by that, but just stress in general, I think is a tremendously important factor for people's habits and for people um, who are trying to accomplish something difficult in our within our context that's improving their lifestyle, improving their health, losing weight, and what have you. Stress and coping with stress is, I don't think it's necessarily related to cortisol, but just is a really big barrier. Because a, mo a lot of us, I would probably say most of us, myself included, we struggle with coping with stress. Um, 
if you're a human and you know you are going to experience stress it's yeah. physical stress and there's emotional stress it's just part of life and if we don't have a means to cope with that in, in an effective way it can make it very difficult to follow an eating or exercise routine because eating particularly eating very kind of hyper palatable calorie dense stuff it does give us kind of short-term stress relief i think that we are wired to some extent to derive comfort from from food yeah. so there's probably a biological mechanism by but by that by which higher calorie food fatty food sugary food does give us that sense of cover, comfort from an evolutionary perspective that makes sense but i think a lot of us particularly when you pair a lot of stress with in a food environment that's abundant in higher calorie hyper palatable food it can be very difficult, especially if we're in the habit of maybe even unconsciously or subconsciously eating to cope with stress. It can make it very difficult to stick to a plan because it's easy to just say, okay, I just need to eat these meals. I just need to eat these more vegetables, count my calories. But it can be really difficult to stick to your guns when stress and subsequently anxiety or depression come up because, yeah, a lot of us just are not good at experiencing those difficult emotions or what do we do when those emotions come up and yeah so i really think that is where the issue lies it's when we're stressed are we able to stick to our nutrition goals or our exercise goals i think it more so affects nutrition and probably sleep and then we don't sleep enough if we're stressed we may not sleep as much and then there is literature demonstrating that when we don't sleep as well, we have a harder time regulating our intake. Again, just to summarize, I don't think it's cortisol in and of itself necessarily, but I think it's just the effects that stress can have on the potential to stress eat the and just how it can make us feel less in control of our lives and less in control of our behaviors. So being able to cope with stress is of paramount importance. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, that's the big thing, right? And I think I'm pretty in agreement with you there, right? Where it's, yeah, it's it's obviously going to be, it's never one or the other. Usually it's always everything put together. Do you, is there any stress coping mechanisms that you use with your people? My, I always try to relay it as it's like, the, the, like you said, there's something ingrained biologically in us. Food is too much a part of our lives and our whatever, everything, right? Our society, our social aspect, it's part of our, our ability to sustain ourselves as living human beings, right? So it's always going to be there. But my thing is it's finding these alternative coping mechanisms to times when you are stressed and starting to pick up on trends, especially, right? Starting to identify when, okay, a hard day at work means I get pissed off by the McDonald's on the way home because I had a hard day, right? And start to pick up on these routines and stuff that we start to create around it. My big thing that I try to work with people is it's like, I don't feel like we're going to abolish this, right? This is not something you're just going to never stress eat again, but what are the tools that we can pick up to maybe reduce that by 10%, 20%, 50% at some point and make a massive impact on our lives? I don't know if you have any stress reduction tips or tools or whatever that you use with your people that you find super helpful? So sometimes what I'll ask people is pretend you're my client for a second. I'll say, what makes you feel good outside of eating or eating calorie dense foods? What genuinely makes you feel good and makes you feel relaxed? And what's something that you could look forward to that's not food related or even exercise related um, that you could generally look forward to? And I generally start from there. For some people, 
that could mean just to take the, just stopping for a few minutes and just taking a breather, meditating, which is what that is, or just listening to music. One thing I do for myself, which I highly recommend, is watching Impractical Jokers, if you're <laughs> familiar with that. Or just in general, watch, people are like, oh, you shouldn't watch Netflix or it's lazy, whatever. Fuck that. Watch a funny TV show or a funny movie. For me, watching Impractical Jokers it will just make me laugh. And I sometimes I just need that to just stop. But yeah, anything that you can do to just stop for a minute and breathe. Meditation, and I utilize meditation to be great. I'm listening to music, talking to a loved one. And it's not to say that you're never going to stress eat, like you said. I think we all do sometimes, but it, it's at least coming to the realization or really internalizing the fact that stress is a part of life. It's not a matter of if you're going to feel stressed, but when you will feel stressed. We all get stress. And how do we cope with it when it comes up? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, man. I agree with you there. I think that's a big thing, right? I think, and that's just life in general, right? It's managing the highs and the lows. And I think the people that are best at doing that are the people that stay pretty successful at whatever it is they're trying to work toward, right? So I think that is just part of the process of the whole idea of just healthier eating and healthier lifestyle and stuff is just, yeah, management of the highs and the lows and starting to understand what are the things that make you feel best and i think that's it's such a simple question that you ask but it's super it's so impactful right it's just what makes you feel good yeah. you don't always have to be doing what other people are like telling you should be doing and I, that was like a interesting one when i was working at uh the university i was talking about a girl that was or to a girl that was stress eating a lot and her thing was she liked to make like jewelry right and i was like oh, yeah that's not something i would have ever have thought of right but it's like hey this calms you down this is something you enjoy this relaxes you and that was something that was super impactful to her right yeah i think you hit it on the head there right? it's just like what makes you feel good right start to do a little bit more yeah. of that stuff and a little bit less of what you think everyone else thinks you should be doing in this situation right yeah exactly exactly really and it comes back to something when we're working with someone and providing dietary recommendations it's individualizing things to the person you're talking to and sometimes that means take like being a little bit less analytical with things and, and just something you know i read a lot of research and do a lot of evidence-based stuff a lot, a lot of us in the evidence-based space we we're analytical with reading research and making guidelines but at the same time when we're working with someone we sometimes we have i mean we, ha we have those evidence-based approaches and whatnot but sometimes we have to take our foot off of that just a little bit and also just be a person yeah. and just be there with this person as though you were their friend and just listen to them and hear what's going on and work with them from one person to another. So sometimes rather than just directing someone or telling them what they should be doing, it's listening. If they start talking about something they really enjoy, focus on that. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great, man. Yeah. That's good stuff. I guess to take it a little bit back to what we were speaking about at the beginning there about like social media and some people that are spreading some misinformation and stuff. How do you think that, or what would you be your recommendations? Cause you are a super evidence-based guy. You take the time, you read all the articles, you're up with the science and what's obviously, I guess the majority of the proof right now. And so where can, you know, other people or how can they safeguard themselves against this constant stream of, like I said, it, Maybe it's sometimes it's misinformation, sometimes just cherry picked information. Sometimes, like you were saying, it's more for attention. But how can people find the stuff that's m most valid for them, for the human population? Yeah, that's that's pretty tough. I think it can be helpful to 
you know, have a few sources who you know are trustworthy and you can just a handful of sources of information who you, you who you really can say, okay, if what this other person is saying is completely counter to what these more trustworthy sources of information are that then I should maybe look at it with a grain of salt. Personally, I, whether it be like just trying to focus on the health and fitness space, like research reviews, psychology research review from James Krieger and the mass research review from Eric Helms, Mike Zardos, Eric Trexler and Greg Knuckles. I know Lane Norton has a research review, all those Folks that I just mentioned are just great folks to follow in general. It's just, I guess, following the right people. And also, I think looking, being able to look out for kind of red flags. So, you know, if someone is spreading a, has a message of it's like an us versus them mentality, it's like someone's out to get you, like the dietary guidelines, they're out to get you, the government's out to get you, but that's something that would pause. Yeah. If someone is providing information that starkly contrasts full consensus, someone is saying that you just shouldn't eat vegetables or that lots of butter is good for you and high LDL cholesterol is good for you. Is it more likely that expert kind of expert panels and scientific consensus is all wrong? And this one person, this one influencer is right? Or is it possible that maybe this influencer who has books to sell, who has programs to sell, who has a supplement company to sell is out for just trying to make money? You know what I mean? So yeah. And if things seem, if someone is saying something that that is counter to common sense, again, don't eat vegetables. It, yeah so, so that kind no of shit is what you're saying yeah that kind of shit <laughs> i do think it can be good and this is something i mean not everyone can do but if you're able to get a hang of reading at least a little bit of research or at the very least some of the research reviews that i mentioned are really good places to start and then exam i work for them but the exam and research review obviously yeah. i'm biased because i work for them but if I'll, I can I'll cut also you off. really sorry to cut you off there but yeah examine is i think for just general population examine does an incredible job of just generalizing studies and, and putting stuff in a super like digestible, like easy to read way for just like anyone can understand it, right? Yeah, yeah. So the examine website is great. Like I said, obviously I work for them, so biased, but we're really the goal there is there, there's no funding. There's no kind of, we don't accept any funding from like products or anything like that. It's independent research. Um, I'm just trying to put good information out there. And that's I think really important as well. Yeah, yeah. and know that just because someone has a very uh, large following, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are accurate. And just because someone is good at getting your attention is entertaining also doesn't mean that they are accurate. Totally. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate that. And I think, yeah, like you said, you got to be careful. And yeah, in most cases, if it sounds too good to be true, usually too good to be true from, yeah. from any, from my experience, right? All those things that are going to work magic and work innocently or melt every you know you see those things that's i don't know put a cinnamon on a pineapple or something and lose 40 yeah. pounds of fat in a week it's just if it's too good to be true let's just assume that that's yeah. what it is and yeah no that, that's great man and i think like you said if you can find some good obviously people to trust and a lot of these research reviews and stuff like you said and obviously if the research if all of the research is said in one one area and all of a sudden there's this one outlier again who's right all the information yeah. or the one outlier so i think that's actually 
that's really a good way to summarize things for everybody because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are just general population fitness people trying to get in it. It's easy to fall into these traps, right? Yeah. And then I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to talk a little bit, and this is more for hopefully we get some dietitians listening to this. You've developed, like you said, a successful private practice, right? And a really good following online. And man, I think one of the one of the things that I'm not going to say it like upsets me, but I just wish we, as dietitians, we did a better job of getting our word out there better, man. And I don't think there's enough like dietitians represented in the nutrition space. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I don't pay attention to the right people, but I feel like so much, so much of the authorities in nutrition don't necessarily have the training of a dietitian. I understand whatever we get our, di- our dietetics degree. If you stop there, you're, yeah. you're probably not getting too far, but I do think there's a lot of people in this dietetics field that have some really good things to say and have gone on to like really take, make this their life. And I wish we did a better job as dietitians of getting the word out to people and getting more recognized and having greater followings. And this is something that you're doing a really good job of right now. I guess what would, is your recommendation for other dietitians that are maybe looking to start private practice or just get more well-known through social media and make a bigger impact on people in a positive way? Yeah. So first thing, something I do want to mention is that Building a successful private practice does not require, or it's not even that related to building a large online following. I would say those are pretty two kind of separate buckets of goals. A lot of people, including myself, would think, I used to think that once I got X number of followers, then I'd have all the clients I need for a private practice. And that was not the case at all. You can have a very successful private practice and not have any following on Instagram. And I'll tell you, majority of my clients, like my Instagram could be deleted tomorrow and I'd be just fine. Okay. Very, and by the same token, even if you've got 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 clients, if you aren't good at marketing or you don't just don't have your kind of shit together with the private practice, you're still not going to get, in my opinion, all that far. Two different things, but uh, just talking about, I guess, growing online. And again, I got a decent following on Instagram. And one thing I do want to mention is a lot of us, I think, are very focused on the number of followers, number of likes. And I think it's a little bit less important to be strictly focused on the number of followers and more focused on, okay, the followers that you do have, do you have a connection with them? Like, I think that is arguably more important. But in terms of actually building a following, one thing that is tricky is, you know, what I found very helpful to grow, I'm thinking that like a little over 26,000 on Instagram right now. And one thing that was really helpful was creating content that was eye-catching, that grabbed someone's attention, and so much so that they would share it on their stories. That was the key. Once I started creating graphics that were that conveyed a visceral idea, that conveyed an idea that a lot of people feel strongly about viscerally, but maybe don't quite aren't able to express. If I could create something, an image that really expressed that and express it in a way so as to capture someone's attention, so they were like, oh, and it just really grab their attention and they'd click the share button and click follow. That's really the key. So it's how can we do that? How can we create content that in this social media age of short attention spans of TikTok, Instagram, how can we create content that's very engaging without being scummy about it, without being a Paul Saladino? Hey, here's me with my shirt off. Here's all the, the here, and I'm barefoot in a Whole Foods. Here's all the bullshit that spinach is. Like, obviously that's very eye-catching and it's part of what's made him grow, but it's also really scummy that he is promoting misinformation and just saying wrong things and, and just 
being shitty grows violently. How can we find the best of both worlds? So it's in thinking about what that looks like for you. Maybe if there is topic that you think is a pretty palatable topic, like for me, Whenever I post about artificial sweeteners, or I did one a while back about carbs not being inherently fattening, when they made short videos or images that really caught people's attention and they shared it because those are our kind of palatable topics. And also creating some content that's more kind of the idea of the content is to spread your message to more people, which is kind of that I, the type of content that I just described that it's very eye-catching, whereas also creating some content that's maybe not as eye-catching, that's not as shareable. That's not going to be going to get like thousands of likes, but that will really connect the people who already follow you will see you as a more trustworthy source of information. And again, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to have 10,000 followers, 15,000 followers. I know dietitians that have a thousand or less followers who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year doing what they love. You got to also think about what's your priority there. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you feel like this, but I think one of the things is when you go through the whole whatever schooling and the internship and you go through all that time you and you get the rd accreditation you really do feel like a professional and it and yeah. even for me i'm a whatever i get the six pack and stuff like that and i have people tell me a lot oh if you just did more stuff with like your shirt off you just get more attention but it doesn't feel professional in a way so i that's something that i guess like i it's like you said you got to find the line between grabbing attention but you want to be a professional at the same time and i don't know if that's something where dietetics feel like maybe we struggle a little bit to really create that attention whereas other people are just really in there going for it like i said maybe i'm just maybe i'm just not paying attention to the right people or whatever but yeah, I find it interesting where it's just, I do feel like dietitians can do a lot more to, I guess, I don't, this is probably the wrong term, but like take over the nutrition world a little bit and just be that authority, right? Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a lot more of it and you do a good job of it. So I just wanted to say well done on that. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, and it is, it's tough to be that authority on information and to give good information and also create content that is entertaining yeah. stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. Dan, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today, man. It really, I love your outlook and I love kind of how you talked about the coaching aspect, right? And the fact that you are science-based and driven in that way, but you still obviously have that human aspect to you where you're yeah. still a person and you can still talk to people on that personal level and understand that, yeah, hey, like there's the science of things, but there's also the reality of things too, right? That people are living through. I'm glad you were able to mention that today. I think that's super cool. But so where can people find you, man? Where do people that want to look more into you or into your coaching program or whatever, where should they go? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Powerlifter Dietitian. I'm also on TikTok at Powerlifter Dietitian, or you can just go to my website, danfeldmanrg.com. If you want to see if, if you someone wants to work with me one-on-one, -on -one. I do most of my clients use their health insurance. One thing I will say, within the next year, within the next year, I am creating a program for dietitians who want to learn how to take health insurance. So that's coming in, in within a year. But yeah, my website, danfeldmanrg.com, or just for all my content, it's at Powerlift for Dietitian on Instagram. Perfect. And you might have uh, your first customer right here. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll be sure to keep you posted. Yeah, man. I get that question all the time. Do you take insurance? And right now I don't. It's definitely something that I probably should do and I would like to do. And obviously you get opportunity to help more people that way. So yeah, you might have yeah. customer number one, right? Sitting right here. Yeah. 
cool. Yeah, yeah. Help you get more clients like very easily. Very like twice. I think I said that like a few minutes ago that my my Instagram could be deleted tomorrow if you found yeah. mine. Yeah, people want to use their health insurance. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's great. Awesome, Dan. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate your time <clears throat> in the conversation. It was great. So I know everybody's going to enjoy this one. Thanks for being on with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. You got it. Please note that this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The information shared on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be used as a replacement for the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider. Additionally, the opinions and strategies discussed on this podcast are those of the guests and host and do not necessarily represent the views or endorsement of the podcast or its creators. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.